Well, good morning. A few years ago, I was approached by a woman in the church who used to attend here but doesn't attend now. She hasn't come for a couple years anyway. But she approached me with a problem that she had. She said that she had gotten behind on her rent and her utility payments and that, that the they were threatening to kick her out onto the street, that she was going to become homeless. And so she wondered whether or not uh, the church would be able to step in and help meet her financial needs. And so I asked her, well, how much money do you need? And she said, $7,000. I thought, $7,000? I was really baffled by the amount because this was a woman that I knew she worked full-time. It wasn't a high-paying job, but I knew she worked full-time. I also knew that the apartment where she lived was not a very expensive apartment, and I could not imagine how she had managed to get $7,000 behind in her bills. We're not talking about $7,000 on a credit card or something. We're talking about missing her rent payments and missing her utility payments and, and coming to this place where she was going to be thrown out onto the street. And I wondered, how on earth did you manage to get $7,000 behind in your payments? And she said, well, for the last year or so, I've been watching these programs on TV where these televangelists have been talking about, if you send money to our ministry, God will bless us financially. Some of them went so far as to say that if you sow a seed with this ministry, it'll be multiplied tenfold. So she said, I've been giving all year long to all these different ministries, but my financial situation has only gotten worse and worse and worse. And she said, I want to approach you because this is a Christian organization. The church is a Christian organization, and, and I've given to all these other Christian organizations. And so I thought maybe you could give back all the money that I gave to that. And I asked, well, just how much did you give? She said, about 7000 It was the same amount. Now, I could sympathize with her situation, but I told her that there was just little we could do. Even if we helped out with a few hundred dollars, she was in a situation that was just beyond our ability really to help in some meaningful way. The sad thing about the story was this. Several friends of hers had told her, stop giving to all these groups when you can't afford it. It wasn't that it's bad to give to different groups, but she couldn't afford it. And a lot of her friends had come along and said, listen, you're, you're putting your trust in this idea that if you plant a seed with this ministry or that ministry, that somehow your finances are just going to just shoot through the roof and you're going to have all this money. And, and that's not how it works. But she had not listened to her friends. And here's something we need to understand about the way God is in terms of giving and receiving and this kind of thing. God is not obligated to fulfill the false promises that some people make in his name. God is not obligated to fulfill the false promises that some people may make in his name. He's not obligated to fulfill those promises. Now, I recognize there are a lot of good ministries out there, a lot of good churches, a lot of good televangelists even out there, but there are others that when I hear stories like this, I get really angry about. 
Because I hear stories about people that are giving away, they're on a fixed income, but they're giving away all that they have. And, and because it's based on some promise that somebody makes that, that that person's not allowed to make. It's not something that God says is true, but the thing about it is that when you're in a financially difficult spot and you, you're looking for any hope, then when somebody speaks about things like this, when someone begins to talk about how your situation can change, how God wants you to be rich, then just because you have so much hope that it's true, you end up giving to these things. And many times impoverishing yourself, you end up giving to a ministry where maybe some of the pastors of that ministry are living in this beautiful mansion that was paid for out of the poverty of others that are just getting by. And it's because this is the way things are, I think, in our world today. Anytime somebody, especially a minister or a ministry, whenever anyone talks about the subject of money, the hair on everyone's necks goes up and we get incredibly skeptical. I am skeptical. I wonder the motives about people when they say give to this ministry or that. I wonder what are their real motives? What's really behind this? Is this a good ministry? Is this not a good ministry? But what I know for sure is that some of these outfits have made it hard for those that are just sincerely trying to serve God and fund their ministries because everyone is so skeptical. And because this is the way people view the subject, then ministers, including myself, don't ever like to talk about money. Because I recognize people are going to say, well, yeah, you're talking about money again, you know. Church only wants your money. We don't talk a lot about it this year, but I do feel like we're not doing people a good service when we ignore the subject. Because although some people are misusing some of the promises in the Bible related to giving and receiving, there are indeed some verses out there, some promises that God has made us that if we apply them, we will see God will bless us when we put him first in the area of our finances. We should not throw the baby out with the bathwater here. There's a fundamental way in which God wants Christians to view their finances when it comes to how they spend the money, but also in terms of giving and receiving that I think we're missing out on because we throw away some of these verses because there are different groups that are misusing the verses to enrich themselves. Now today we're gonna to continue this series titled Why We. It's a series about why we as Christians should do certain things, but a little bit more specifically, this is a series about what we hope you will do with us here at Chestnut Ridge why we should do this as believers in Christ who attend this church. Now, these four things that we're gonna be talking about these four weeks are things that apply to really all churches. Our executive pastor just got back from a conference of executive leaders in churches all over the country. He was out in Dallas. He said, these other churches all have the same four things that we're talking about. And these four things really address the question, what does it mean to be all in at Chestnut Ridge? You know, you kind of wonder that sometimes. What does it mean to be a, a partner with a church? What does it mean to be a member with a church? What are the things that are involved? And we're saying there are really four things, and if you're doing these four things, you're fully involved with what's going on here. And what are the four things? Well, last week I talked about the first one, which is serving. If you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Christ, God has given you a spiritual gift that's to be used to serve especially the body of Christ, the church, but also outside our doors. 
That's part of what we're supposed to be doing. But many times I think we neglect the inside. For the last 2,000 years, Jesus has been building his church. It's what he's doing. You say, what has Jesus been doing for the last 2,000 years? I will build my church. Gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is called the head of the church. We are the body of the church. That's what Jesus is involved with. And God has given, Jesus has given each of us a spiritual gift to, to strengthen that body so that we're not anemic, so that we can carry out all that God has for us. But it, it won't happen if we don't jump in and say, I want to serve Christ with this group of Christians or that group of Christians. It doesn't have to even be with us. But I encourage you to use the gifts you've given to build up a body of Christ. Today, I want to talk about the second thing, which is the subject of giving. The other two areas are inviting and connecting. Now, we think if people are doing those four things, they're really kind of, they're all in. You know, if, if we're serving, if we're giving, if we are inviting people both to Christ and to the church, and we're connected properly with the rest of the body of Christ, we feel like you're really all in. You know, you're, it, it, we're hitting on all cylinders if everybody's doing that. And so I want to focus on this second one here today. And specifically, on the subject of giving, I want to look at some amazing promises that are found in the Bible. And again, I think they're promises that some misuse, but they're still there. They are still promises or principles in the Word of God concerning our finances and why God wants us to be the kind of people who are generous and give not just to the church, but to needs we see around us, to be agents of generosity in the world in which we live. My main takeaway, though, is this, that when it comes to the subject of giving, it's not what God wants from us, it's what he wants for us. Someone else actually came up with that idea. I don't know who it was, but it's not what God wants from us, it's what he wants for us. And this is why I'm saying I think we're missing out if we're not involved with giving. We don't appreciate what God wants to do in and through our lives, how he wants to provide for us in unique ways, how he wants us to be vessels of good in the world in which you live. But we're going to look at five references here today, five main ones. There'll be one or two extra, but it's five main ones. First one is Luke 6 and verse 38. Jesus was speaking, and he said this, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Given, it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it says it will be poured into your lap. In Bible times, people would carry grain in the fold of their garment. They'd fold it up, they'd pour in the grain, and then they could tie it and walk home with it. And so Jesus is describing a situation. He says, you give and it will be given back to you. Now, this is a principle, a general principle that applies to all kinds of things in the Bible, not just the subject of giving. For example, Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged, because the measure you use to judge others will come back on you. There's a correlation. If you're the kind of person that judges other people, when you do something wrong, expect no one to be kind to you. They're all going to jump all over you because you're that kind of person that jumped on everyone else when they did something wrong. Judge not, because if you do, you'll be judged. Another place, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Why? Because they'll receive mercy. The kind of people that are 
showing mercy to other people. When they're in a situation, they also receive mercy. And now we come to this verse where Jesus said, give, and it'll be given to you. But then Jesus adds something here. He says, but it'll come back to you a good measure. It'll be pressed down, shaken together, running over. In other words, it'll be more than you give. Now, don't get me wrong here. I don't believe that when we give to God that it's a dollar for dollar type thing. Like if you give to God, he'll give you a dollar back. One dollar, one dollar. Or some say if you give one dollar, it'll be 10. I don't think God works that way. That's not how it works. Also, some of the ways in which God blesses us when we give to meet needs of others or give to advance the gospel are not in this life. You know, we take this life in one sense too seriously. Some of the, some of the reward is in the next life. And so it's not quite that way, but there's a principle here that when we're the kind of people who give, it'll come back to us in a generous way. Now, I would suggest this is a principle that's true even in a non-religious realm. The example that comes to my mind when I think of this is kettle corn at the Buckwheat Festival. My wife and I have been going to the Buckwheat Festival every year for the last... 30 or 31. We might have missed one year in 30 or 31. But we go every single year. And we always go Thursday night when they have the fireman's parade. And we always also go to the fire hall and we eat their, their buck cakes and sausage. And then when we're done and before the parade starts, we'll go to the carnival area and we'll walk around and we'll inevitably walk by the place where they're making that kettle corn. And it's delicious. That kettle corn, I mean, the, 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 the pan, it's a huge copper pan, but it's massive. And, and so we'll go there and we'll say, we want the biggest bag, the $5 bag, and they'll always ask this question. They'll say, do you want us to tie up the bag for you, or do you want us to leave it open so that you can eat some of it before you leave? And we always say, leave it open, because they'll pour more in. I know that. They always pour more in. They fill it all the way up to the top. But have you ever watched them fill it up to the top? It's really kind of fun to watch them. They stick in the corn, and then they shake it. And then they stick in some more, and they shake it, and they keep piling it on, and then they shake it down, and they keep piling it on, and then when they get to the top, I kid you not, they put one more scoop, and it goes everywhere. And then they hand it to you, and popcorn spilling everywhere. Now, because they do that, we always go back to the same place. You could have 50 other places lined up, but we'd go to that one, right? See, we've all experienced times where somebody wasn't generous in a business before. Like, you go out to eat someplace, and let's assume it's not a fancy restaurant where small portions are what it's supposed to be. You know, where you look at it and say, what is this, you know? <laughs> let's assume it's a normal restaurant, which those could be normal, don't get me wrong. But let's say you're in a restaurant and the food's a little expensive to start with and then you get your plate and you look at the portion sizes and you realize that somebody in a back room somewhere decided that if we gave them one less bean, our profit will go up. And so they begin kind of shrinking the portions and they didn't think you'd notice. Does that happen to any of you? I know some businesses, I'm not going to mention them, but I know some that have gone out of business, and I'm telling you, I predicted it. I knew it was going to happen. 
I watched as they shrunk the sizes and they thought nobody's gonna notice because they thought, well, we've gotta, we've gotta increase our bottom line. What they don't realize is when you're generous, you prosper. If you give good portions, people are gonna come back and they're gonna frequent your business or they're gonna frequent your, your restaurant or whatever it is, but a generous person prospers. It's just a biblical principle and it lines up with the way our God is. Our God is a generous God. For God so loved the world, he gave. And there is indeed a principle at work here. Solomon talked about this in Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25. It's not one of my five references, but he said, one person gives freely yet gains more. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. Describing two kinds of people there, there's the kind of person who gives away freely, yet for some reason, they, they, they prosper. It's like they're giving away, but somehow it doesn't diminish what they have. One person gives freely, but somehow gains more. And then there's the other kind of person that holds back what they really should be giving. They think, well, they hoard it. They think, well, I've got to be careful. I need to hold on to what I have. And yet, for some reason, they're always poor. Solomon was right. There's just something to this. A scholar by the name of Childress explains, God is no one's debtor, and those who give freely of what they have will be rewarded by him. I think there's a general principle at work here, but I think this is all also how God operates. Let's look, though, at our second reference from the Old Testament, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first of the produce of your entire harvest. If you do that, Solomon wrote, your barns are going to be completely filled. Your vats will overflow. Why? Because you can't I'll give God. It's not what God wants from you, it's what he wants for you. I think God wants to, to bless us, but we don't trust him in this area of our lives. Now, in Bible times, at the beginning of the harvest, when the first part of the harvest came in, they would, they would gather in the harvest, and then they were not to hold on to it. They were told, take it to the temple and give it to the priests and take care of them first. It took faith to do that. It took faith to believe that if you took the, the early harvest and you gave it away, that, that things would be okay with you. Like, what would happen if a bunch of locusts hit your field and ate everything up, or if, if there was a drought, or if there was flooding, or whatever, and, and you'd end up at a loss? And if you were afraid of that, of course, you'd hold on to what you have. But the people who would trust God would end up giving, and God would demonstrate that he's able to provide for all our needs. I hope you understand something, by the way, about this whole subject. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't, if God needed something, he wouldn't ask you. He wouldn't ask me. God, you know, he doesn't need it. It's not about what he needs. It never has been about what he needs. It's really about what we need. And giving, whether it's to an organization or to some person in need, is, is about breaking the grip of money on our lives and, and breaking that idol down, which is an idol in all of our hearts. That's why we get so sensitive about the subject. It's an idol. And when we give, when we're generous with what we have, it just begins to shatter that idol just a little bit. And we give an opportunity then for God to come in and bless us. Again, it may not be dollar for dollar. Don't accuse me of saying that. It may not even be in this life, but God takes notice. The verse said, by the way, honor the Lord with your possessions. 
The word honor there comes from a Hebrew word that means to be heavy. And so what it's saying here is when you give to God, you are saying he carries weight with you. You're saying he's heavy and valuable to you. It, was, it became a picture like of gold, which is heavy and valuable. You carry weight with me, God. It's an acknowledgement, of course, that everything we have comes from God anyway. And an opportunity for him to bless us. Now, I recognize this is the Old Testament, but I want to suggest that this is the way God is. It's just the way God is. I don't think God changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think these principles apply both in the Old and the New Testament. Let's look at our third reference where we find a similar promise also from the Old Testament, Malachi 3, 10 and 11. When we read, bring the full tenth or tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of hosts. It's the only place in the Bible I'm aware of where God says, test me. You're not supposed to test God. Even Jesus said that to Satan. You're not to test the Lord your God. But in these verses in the Old Testament, God said, test me. Go ahead, test me. Bring in the full tenth and see what happens. I'll take notice, I will give beyond that, I will bless you so that your barns will overflow. The produce of your field will, will grow, your vines will do well. And he goes on to say, I'll rebuke the devourer as well. Now, this relates of course to Old Testament and it's about tithing and we're in the New Testament from my perspective. My perspective on the whole subject of tithing though is that Old Testament tithing is a picture for New Testament giving. The, the tithing was something that actually predated the law. That's why we have an example of Abraham hundreds of years before the law came around and he gave a tithe after he got a victory from God. He gave a tithe to the king of Salem. He met this king. We don't know much about this king, but he gave, it says, a full tenth in the book of Genesis all the way back then. You say, where did he get that idea? Well, a tenth was considered the king's portion in Bible times. A tenth was the king's portion. And somehow Abraham knew that, and his son Isaac, or else it was Jacob, also did the same thing. He also gave a tenth because he understood this. But the bottom line is this again, that I don't think we can outgive God. Now, two things God said would happen if the people of Israel would trust him. What was happening, by the way, in Malachi is, is that you had the temple going on here and the people were supposed to be bringing a tithe, the full tenth, but they stopped doing it. And so the priests and the Levites who did the sacrifices and sang songs and read scripture, they all had to abandon the temple and go to their own properties and grow their own food and take care of their own animals. And then the things of God got neglected and as a result, in Malachi, we read a curse came upon the people. And so what Malachi was saying, get your order straight again and, and put me first in, in the terms of what you have, and I will bless you. Watch, see if it won't happen. But he said he'd do two things. Number one is he said, I'd increase the harvest, and second, I'll keep away the devourer. Both of those things are important. He was saying, in essence, one, you'll get a bumper crop. You know, you... Your plant won't have 12 grapes on it, it'll have 100. 
So you get a bumper crop. I'll bless you in that way. But the second thing he says, I'll keep away the devourer. No locusts, no drought. Your crops will do fine because I'm gonna take care of you. I think God does that. I think God has done that in my own life when it has come to giving. My wife and I have been in the habit of tithing our entire marriage. And I think this is part of the reason, I can't prove it, but it's part of the reason our cars last so long. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I have car stories. I think when God knows I need a car story, something happens, and those are always good. I like car stories. But my cars, they just, you know, I'll go and I'll think, oh, this is horrible. The engine's shot, and then I'll get the bill, $203. It's, it's like God's protecting them. He's like he's keeping the rust and the devourer away. I, I think God does that because it's the way our God is. Now, if you think this is just about the Old Testament, then our fourth reference is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11, which says some similar things. Let me say the context for this, the apostle Paul was trying to raise money for the believers who lived in the city of Jerusalem. They were facing a a lot of poverty for, for some reason. And so the apostle Paul took it upon himself to go to all the other churches and say, listen, these believers here don't have enough food. And so he took a collection from different places and, and sent it to Jerusalem to take care of the needs of these other believers. And so it was really, really helping out their needs. One of the churches, the church of Corinth, promised that they would give a lot. They were so excited about the opportunity to meet the needs of these other believers, but they did nothing about it. They kind of sat on their hands. Other churches came in and late, but they collected it quickly and they sent the money, but the church in Corinth was not fulfilling their promise. And so Paul sent three leaders to go to Corinth to say, collect the money. And then he gave them some motivation for doing so. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. He said, remember this, When it comes to giving, again, it's giving to meet these needs. It's not about giving to the church, but about these needs. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Sounds familiar. Person who sows generously will also reap generously. He's just reminding them, that's fine. If you want to just give a little bit, but realize that the return you're going to get is a little bit. That's how the thing works. You plant five seeds, you're going to end up with five things. You plant 5,000, you're going to end up with a lot. And that's what he's telling them. You just keep this in mind. He goes on to say, each person should do as he's decided in his heart generously. I'm sorry, decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he scattered God, in other words, seed, and he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. Doesn't verse 10 sound an awful lot like Proverbs and Malachi? When he said, now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and at the same time increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, it's the righteous thing to do and a lot of people will be blessed as a result of it. He's reminding them there is indeed a promise. 
associated with giving here. Don't give a little, you'll return a little. Give a, give a lot, you'll return a lot. Now, something he adds here that I think is very significant, and it was touched on with one of the other references. He says, the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply. He's reminding them that God is the one who actually provides seed. God is the one that actually provides the bread. Every good gift, James wrote, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Now here's where I think we need to change the way we think because I think we think, look what I have earned. Look what, look what I have made for myself. Look at the success that I have achieved and we do not acknowledge that God is the one who blesses Every good and perfect gift comes from him. In the book of Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, Moses said, don't you realize that God is the one that gives you the intellect to allow you to earn money? And so if you have, sure you're working hard, I understand that you're working hard, and so you, 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 a lot of what you have has to do with the hard work, although God gave you the strength to do it. Don't leave God out of the equation. Reminds me of a story I just read this week from the Old Testament, the book of, uh, of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar the king. He had three palaces in Babylon. He was standing at his summer palace looking out and he looked at it all and he said, look what I've done. Look what my hands have made and produced. I'm great. I'm wonderful. And God knows how to humble those who walk in pride. And for the next seven years, he was humbled until he acknowledged that God is the one that raises up some and he puts down others. God is the one who provides for us. And once again, we can't outgive God. Jesus talking about the subject of money in Matthew 6, therefore said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything else will be added to you. Your food, your clothing, God will take care of that. You seek first his kingdom. One last reference I'd like us to look at. First Timothy 6 17 through 19, Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. There it is again. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. Because real life is not about loving money. It's about being released from the love of money. It's about using it in ways that glorify God and do good. Now, he mentions a lot of thing relate, things related to wealth in this passage that are worth noting. He says, for example, don't be arrogant. Instruct those who are rich in the world not to be arrogant. By the way, you're all rich. I know you don't feel it. Compared to the rest of the world, I'm just telling you, compared to the rest of the world, we're rich. We are rich. We are rich. We, we throw away more than most have. Even the poorest among us, we throw away more than most people in this world even have. And he says, first of all, don't be arrogant about it. Don't be proud. It's easy in our culture to say, I'm wealthy, therefore I'm important. I'm valuable. No, don't be proud. Second, he says... Don't set your hope on it. If your hope is in the stock market right now, I would prefer that your hope be in God because the stock market's not looking wonderful right now. Good time to buy. Don't put your hope in the stock market. 
I wish we could, I mean, I don't wish, but I do at the same time, wish that we could actually literally pray the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Who of you have ever prayed that and meant it? Give us this day our daily bread. You don't have to pray that. You've never had to pray that, hardly. I mean, there might be one or two of you that have had to pray it like I don't have anything today. We might pray, give us this year my daily bread, but we don't say give us this day. We don't know what it's like to trust God for stuff. And again, giving is an opportunity to do that. You say, oh, I'm gonna trust you. If I give this away, will you still take care of me? Will you bless me? But he says, don't be arrogant. Don't set your hope on it. He then he reminds them, God richly provides everything for you to enjoy. Then he talks about being generous and giving because he says, if you do that, you store up treasure in heaven. That's, of course, what Jesus said too. Don't store up treasure on this earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. That's not where your treasure should be, on things that can be stolen or ruined. Store up treasure in heaven, Jesus said. That's where our investment is supposed to be. And we store up treasure in heaven when we give to other people, when we advance the kingdom of God, and things like that. And that's what I think God calls us to do. Again, though, I think it's because of what God wants for us, not what God wants from us. I think God wants to bless us in this area, but if something is going to be for us an idol, I don't think he's going to do that. When it's not an idol, then I think he's freed up to bless us in greater ways. So, what do we do with this? Well, it's really just a heart issue. It's really, be, this is something between you and God. This is not something, by the way, as a church. I know some churches go out there and they ask people, how much do you earn? I want to see your W-2. They want to make sure you're giving what you're, but we don't, we trust God for those things. This is be, just between you and God, but I want to encourage you. If some of you never give, would you consider giving? Just start giving. If, if you never give, just start giving. Even if it's just a little bit, start giving. Some of you give a little a small percentage maybe of what your income is, would you consider giving just a little bit more? Some of you perhaps are in the habit of actually tithing, giving a tenth of your income. Would you consider trusting God for a little bit more? I think God wants us to, to stretch us in this area. He wants us to learn to trust Him more and more. Of course, there are other ways to give, like Feed West Virginia, where you're helping to take care of so many are going to bed with food insecurity, as it's called. We have an opportunity as a church to make a huge difference. Last year, I think we gave over 10,000 pounds of food away to different groups. That's a praise to God and, and wonderful for the church as well. I encourage, you, I encourage you to do that and consider it. At this time, we're going to have our offering. We put it at the end here because it seemed like a good opportunity for you to put it into practice. Once again, though, I want to say this. We're not concerned what people give. God will take care of us. And I want to close with a story here. In the time I've been involved with the church, which is over 30 years, we've had one hour in our history where we didn't have the money we needed to pay our bills. I kid you not, it was literally one hour. One hour. What happened is we moved into this building 13 years ago we didn't realize there was an outstanding bill that we hadn't paid, and it wasn't just outstanding, it was past due. We didn't know it was there. $40,000 bill. And we had about 35,000 in the bank. We did not have enough money to pay it, and it was past due. So what did we do? Well, 
Our administrator called the bank and, and wanted to talk with the officer about it. We're not going to be able to pay you until next month. It was not a good way to start. But the officer was not there at the time, and so she left a message, give me a call when you get a chance. In the meantime, we prayed. During that hour, an amazing thing happened. I was sitting in my office. There's a knock on the door. Some guy that I, I didn't really recognize came in. He had talked with me before on the phone about our policies with money, and I'd answered his questions, but I'd never even met him. He walked in and he said, I want to give you this, and it was, it was two envelopes. He said, I sold my business, and I want to tithe on that, plus, because God has blessed us, I want to give an extra $50,000. $92,000, those two checks were for $92,000. And then the bank officer calls back, hey, I heard you called. Oh, nothing. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> no problem. Whether you give or not, God's going to take care of the church here. He has. We've, we've watched what he's done, but it is something that matters in your life. And that's why we emphasize it.